I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and today we have a very, very interesting topic um, on the issue of the Trinity and the Muslim concept of Tawheed. And um, this episode is really going to be a a kind of an overview of a debate that I attended Um, on November 7th, 2018, which was a little while back. I attended a debate at York College um, between a Christian, David Wood, who's a Christian apologist, and a Muslim uh, by the name of Muhammad Hijab on the topic of the Trinity, which is obviously the Christian position, and Tawheed, which is the Muslim uh, position. Now, among the various fundamental differences between Christianity and Islam, this one really stands at the heart of our differences. And so I thought this was actually a very good topic uh, to debate since it strikes at the heart of the issue that divides Christians and Muslims. So first, let us define our terms uh, for those who are not familiar with the Christian concept of the Trinity and the Muslim concept of Tawheed, all right? So the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, The Christian doctrine of the Trinity is is as follows. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Okay, that's the definition of the Trinity. It's important to, to recognize that Uh, Trinitarian Christians are monotheistic through and through. We do not affirm that each person within the Godhead are three individual gods, nor are we saying that the three persons are three parts of God or three manifestations of God. We are saying that there is one being who is God, and this one being exists as three persons. The one God is tri-personal. These three persons are co-eternal, co-substantial, and co-existent with each other. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit never began to exist. They have always existed eternally. Um, Perhaps a more philosophical definition uh, might be a little helpful. Um, this This is a more philosophical understanding of the Trinity. God is one being with three centers of consciousness, each of which have the characteristics of personhood. 
and are denominated Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, although the persons of the Trinity are, are plural in their personhood, they are one in their essence and being. Trinitarians make an important distinction between being and personhood, which is a topic worth exploring in more depth in, in, within another context. Now, the Muslim doctrine of Tawheed uh, is the concept of the complete and utter oneness of Allah. Tawheed understands Allah in a strictly um, what we would call Unitarian sense, right? That is to say, for the Muslim, Allah is one being who is also one person. And the important point to keep in mind is that for the Muslim, the doctrine of Tawheed is the most foundational doctrine in all of Islam. And it is the doctrine upon which all else is built. So uh, to create a context for the Christian reader or the Christian studier or, or the Christian listener who's trying to understand these issues, um, uh, perhaps a, a helpful quote from James White um, can highlight the importance of the doctrine of Tawheed for the Muslim. Okay, now, of course, uh, James White is a Christian, um, but again, if you're familiar with the ministry of James White, who's over at Alpha and Omega Ministries, um, he has a, a very great emphasis on um, debating and speaking with Muslims um, for the purpose of sharing the gospel and to really highlight those differences and open lines of communication. So I think this is very important. So he writes in his book, What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Quran, and this is on page 59. He says, Ask any sincere follower what defines Islam, and they will answer quickly. Tawheed, the glorious monotheistic truth, the heart of the Islamic faith, is to the Muslim what the Trinity is to the Christian. The touchstone, the non-negotiable, the definitional. Okay? Very, very important. So, unquote. I'm not quoting anymore. Uh, indeed, this foundational truth is expressed in the, in the opening of, of what Muslims call the Shahada. I profess that there is only one God worthy of worship. The doctrine of Tawheed is so foundational to Islam that without it, there would be no Islam. Now the definitions are in place, allow me to get back to the main point in the debate between the Christian David Wood and the Muslim Muhammad Hijab. Mr. Hijab brought out four main questions that he strongly uh, wanted David Wood, the Christian, to respond to and uh, that he thought were insurmountable difficulties for the Christian Trinitarian position. And so I'm going to try my best to reconstruct Mr. Hijab's uh, question and then respond to each question in turn. Okay, now again, if you're interested, you can look up the debate. I'm sure it's on YouTube, um, Muhammad Hijab versus uh, David Wood. Um, again, it wasn't my favorite debate, and while I really, really, really appreciate David Wood, I think he has some good material out there. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't think it was his best, uh, his best debate, in my estimation. And so I'm, I'm going to... Uh, kind of reconstruct the questions that the Muslim brings up and, and try to give my my understanding uh, in regards to answering answering that question okay so first question why doesn't the Old Testament mention the concept of the Trinity that was a that was a question okay there there was great emphasis on the absence of the Trinity within the Old Testament from the Muslim debater okay so from a debater's perspective in my opinion I thought this was a very weak point of argumentation first the word Trinity need not be found in, in order for the concept to be biblical. Now, of course, Mr. Hijab did not ask why the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Old Testament. Rather, he was concerned that the Old Testament doesn't teach the tri-personality of God. So to make his point, he quoted the Hebrew Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. However, Trinitarian Christians affirm the Shema and, and do not at all find the concept in conflict with the doctrine of the Trinity. Furthermore, even if it were true that the Old Testament never speaks of a plurality within one God, it does not logically follow that the Trinity is false since Christians adhere to progressive revelation, at least until the closing of the Christian canon, right? 
So if the Old Testament was silent on the issue, it doesn't refute or work against the Christian conception of the triune God, since in this case, God reveals his tri-personal nature in the New Testament. Now, this being said, however, is the Old Testament really silent in regards to the plurality within the one God? I really, to be honest, I don't think so at all. The verse was mentioned in the debate, but I don't think there was any response. In Genesis 1.26, the one God says, let us make man in our image. And a common response um, is that such wording is a literary device to reflect what, what many call the royal plural. Oftentimes, kings and rulers would, would speak in third person, what we would call the plural of majesty. But the plural of majesty wasn't found among the Jews. And so such explanation doesn't adequately address why it's used in Genesis 126 and in other places. Furthermore, all that is needed to support the doctrine of the Trinity at a minimal level in the Old Testament is not to find Trinitarian language or definitions within the text, but to find the concept that there exists one God, but within the one God there is a plurality of persons. Now this point minimally entails that when the New Testament fleshes out in more detail the tri-personality of God, the New Testament is consistent with the picture of the, of the God in the Old Testament, right? Because for Christians, it's the same God, okay? Now, when we search the Old Testament, we do find within the teaching that there is one God, but within the one God, there is the concept of plurality, and many scriptures can be used uh, but let us consider um, the book of Amos, chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. This is God speaking, okay? I sent pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I, God is speaking, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me. Notice the clear plurality within verse 11. The I speaking is God. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. The I is God, and he's saying that I, God, overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, does this verse teach the Trinity? No, but it does teach that one God is referred to in the plural, which is quite consistent with the Trinity doctrine, which comes to fuller fruition in the New Testament. Okay, so I hope that I hope that makes a little sense. Of course, we can go deeper and kind of uh, pick that apart and kind of explore other passages. But I think that it, uh, hopefully that makes sense. Okay, um, second question: Why is the Trinity not inferred by the church fathers? Uh, this was another question that was that was brought up. Now, apart from the fact that the church fathers did teach a Trinitarian view of God, again, you have some different variations and underdeveloped explications of that. From a debater's perspective, though, this is really irrelevant given the fact that the real issue is whether Scripture teaches the doctrine. The Christian who affirms the Bible as the ultimate authority concerning doctrine is not obligated to demonstrate that the church fathers taught the Trinity. Indeed, the fact that many did is, is important, but irrelevant to whether the doctrine itself is true. Now, I suppose David Wood, the Christian, could have followed that rabbit trail and, and debate the details of what the church fathers taught, but I think this would have derailed the focus of the debate. So the issue of whether the early church fathers taught the doctrine or not is, is logically disconnected from the truth of the doctrine. I think that's a very important point to keep in mind. Uh, the third question that was brought up, did the early church fathers teach the deity of the Holy Spirit? Now again, irrelevant to the truth of the doctrine itself. Now I'm not saying that the question is not important. Please don't con confuse what I'm saying. It is. But in a debate about the truth or falsity of the doctrine of the Trinity, the question remains as to whether the Bible teaches the deity and personhood of the Holy Spirit, and it most assuredly does. The Holy Spirit is called God in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 through 4. The Holy Spirit is also described as having a will in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 
which seems to clearly suggest personhood. The Holy Spirit is even referred to with personal pronouns, clearly demonstrating the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Couple the fact that the Holy Spirit is referred to with personal pronouns and is called God, it seems to follow that the Holy Spirit is God and is a person, which is precisely what the doctrine of the Trinity entails, what it teaches. Now, that's from Scripture. So we can talk about church fathers, and I guess you can have people who have, you know, imperfect uh, presentations of what the doctrine of the Trinity is or whatever, but from Scripture you have this idea that the Holy Spirit is described with personal pronouns and is called God, okay? Uh, the fourth question, and I'm running through this fast, but uh, I hope it's not too fast that you're missing what I'm saying, okay? So the fourth question was, how can the Trinity be rationalized? Now, the claim was made that the Trinity concept is illogical. Um, Mr. Hijab uh, brought this, this idea up. Now, again, from a debater's perspective, I believe this is a better approach taken by the Muslim than the previous questions that were raised, since this question deals directly with the truth or falsity of the doctrine of the Trinity. Indeed, if the doctrine of the Trinity is illogical, then this means that the Trinity doctrine violates one of the laws of logic and is by definition false. A statement or concept that violates the laws of logic must be false since contradictions can't be true. So I, I, this is an important objection, okay? So now I think David Wood in the debate adequately responded to this point in the debate. And the response of, of Mr. Hijab demonstrated that he, he doesn't understand, A, what the Trinity actually is, and, and B, what constitutes a genuine contradiction. Let's define the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction states that a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time and in the same sense. Does the doctrine of the Trinity make certain claims about the nature of God that violates this logical law? No, it doesn't. The doctrine does not state that God is both one and three at the same time and in the same sense. God is one and three at the same time, but definitely not in precisely the same sense. There is a sense in which God is one, and there is a sense in which God is three. God is one in being, but three in persons. Trinitarians make a clear distinction between being and personhood. Mr. Hijab seemed surprised when, when Dr. Wood expressed precisely what I've just stated here, as though Christians have always affirmed that God is one and three at the same time and in the same sense. Christians never affirm that. Now, this has never been the orthodox Trinitarian position to say that he's one and three in the same way, in the same sense, right? Because that would be a genuine contradiction, in which case uh, the view would be false. Now, Overall, while the debate was informative and I enjoyed it, it didn't seem, uh, it, it did rather, it did seem really unfocused in places and often strayed from the main topic. Uh, this being said, it emphasized to me and should emphasize to other Christians the importance of knowing the biblical foundations for what we believe. Now, the better we are at doing this, the better our defense will be against teachings that oppose biblical truth. Lastly, we need to remember another important element in debates and discussions like these, namely that we learn to speak the truth in love. Not being arrogant or boastful in our approach, when we speak the truth in love and we speak it in a well-argued and respectful way, we honor God and we open up clear lines of communication. And um, Christians and Muslims need more um, open lines of communication because there's so much talking past one another. Um, and, and granted, there's much about Islam that I don't understand, and I do apologize if I've misrepresented, if a Muslim happens to be listening to this episode and I misrepresented their view in any way. It's definitely not my... My, my purpose to do so. Um, but open lines of, of communication, respectful dialogue, but uncompromising uh, defending of, of one's position, these are the things that we need to make um, progress um, over our disagreements and things like that. Okay, and hopefully by the grace of God, 
God uses uh, these discussions and these debates and these these things that we talk back and forth with one another. He uses them uh, to his glory. Um, so, well, that's my uh, kind of brief, I suppose, <laughs> somewhat brief uh, overview of the debate between uh, David Wood, the Christian, and uh, Muhammad Hijab, the Muslim debater on uh you know, the Trinity and Tawheed, you know, which one is is the true um, teaching, right? On November 7th, 2018, you can look up this debate on YouTube. Um, good practice to listen to debates like this and jot down some notes and, and ask yourself, how would I answer uh, those sorts of questions? That's kind of good apologetics training, if you will. All right. Well, I hope this is helpful. And uh, that's all I've got for today. OK, um, take care and God bless. Bye bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. Uh, if you have any questions um, that you would like me to cover in a podcast episode, uh, please email them to me to revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Also, we very much um, appreciate your prayers, and if you wish to support Revealed Apologetics financially, uh, you can by doing so. Um, we have a, a PayPal account set up. Uh, you can... Um, uh, Help us out financially um, at paypal.me slash revealedapologetics, paypal.me slash revealedapologetics. And that would be uh, greatly appreciated if, if you were able to help out financially. If not, um, we, we definitely would appreciate uh, prayer. Um, and um, once again, if, if you have any questions uh, that you'd like me to cover, revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless.